0: times my name's
1: george my name's janet or mum to george or mum
0: thank you very much i appreciate you being considerate of me in that way um and hello again uh things have changed a little bit since the last time we recorded but we're gonna try and keep it cool as much as we can we'll go first straight into news how about that mum
1: sure into the news. Okay, um, so this isn't. This might not be news to anybody else, but uh, it was news to me. I knew that there was a big uh, national book festival in Washington D.C. I didn't know when it was. I just looked it up. It's on the twelfth uh, of August from nine a.m. to eight p.m. Doors open at eight thirty in the morning. It is free, um, and George and I are gonna. Try and take a field trip and put in an appearance there. Some great authors going to be there. Uh, S.A. Cosby, who we've talked about before, who mm-hmm. wrote a book with Quest Love, Quest Love, pardon me, uh, recently called The Rhythm of Time. He's got a new novel out called All Sinners Bleed, which is a crime thriller, and he is going to be present at the festival. Also, um, Elliot Page. Yep. Um, Author is of going Page to be there. Boy author of page boy is also going to be present there's a whole list if you're into it you can uh, look it up it's really well organized and really accessible and it's also um able you are able to attend virtually you don't have to be there in person but we are just uh we're gonna make that effort we're gonna try and be there in person um so it just
0: seemed appropriate you know we're we're, yeah. we're doing this thing trying to take our love of books a little more seriously and and this just seemed to be right on the money for that so hopefully we can go and get a couple of books
1: signed that would be kind of
0: cool but also yeah, just to w- hear from authors yeah <laughs> sorry you you lit right up you're like yeah that would be cool
1: yeah I <laughs> well i am i'm really excited i mean like the last book festival i went to was in florida i think and i got a mm. uh, book um signed by Ian Colfer who wrote Artemis Fowl that's right and actually I gave that book to you too. it was one of your I books st- anyway
0: I still have it it was that was one of the big series when I was a kid anyway we're not going to talk about the same series that we always talk about yeah, yeah um yeah. can I talk about the other piece of news
1: yeah bring it on Yeah, so
0: uh, hopefully the D.C. National Book Festival will not have happened by the time we put this episode out. You may have clocked to this point. We're a little delayed um, from recording to release. Uh, So pardon us if some of our strike news comes a little late or maybe if some of our jokes are just a wee (laughs) off-topical. But But still
1: funny. They're still funny.
0: Okay, listen, (laughs) we'll get into what's funny um but so just keeping up with the WGA strikes uh not only are more actors coming out as just like to to spread awareness and to talk about solidarity this week we were blessed with the news that SAG-AFTRA has also gone on strike so we have the first double strike in the entertainment industry since the 60s and I believe uh I've been keeping up with Adam Conover online who's a strike captain and a union rep um for both SAG-AFTRA and uh, WGA actually um but uh he was talking about how the last time we had a double strike in the entertainment industry, that was when we got pensions, health care, and residuals for the first time. So quite. this is quite momentous. Um, so, you know, just continuing our solidarity, even if it's a few weeks
1: late. Yeah, quite right, too, as well. Um, you know, I did, I did pull a couple of quotes... Uh, The actor Brian Cox has said that, you know, the way things are looking, he's quite prepared for this to go on till the end of the year. Um, You know, he went on to say that streaming services are making huge profits, but they're not sharing them with writers and performers. Um, Mm -hmm. And Susan Sarandon, Sarandon? Sarandon. Sarandon, beg my pardon, um, also said that, you know, if change isn't happening now... Then it's not likely to happen in the future, yeah. so um, you know. And it is across the board. It's it's about labor. It's I think mm-hmm. um, I don't don't remember her name, but whoever's the head of SAG, I, f- I forget her name.
0: Fran Drescher.
1: Thank you very much. She did that. Um,
0: she did that really awesome radical speech. Yeah, yeah.
1: And she said, "You know," she said, "Oh no! Oh, sorry." I just stuffed something up. Actually, it wasn't her. I was thinking of something that you said last time we recorded. You were saying about the actress from Abbott Elementary saying uh, that it's not just about performance and writers, that it's about labour across the country, having access to benefits and uh, decent wages, living wages. So I just wanted to reiterate that. (laughs) Oh. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Stuffed it up a little bit, but
0: whatever. Hey, it's all right. Um it's all good. it was I think that was Lisa Ann Walter. Yeah. Oh, uh, was it? Okay, thank you. It was, okay, it was Militia, Militia Shimenti in uh, Abbott Elementary. Uh, early on in the strike, she, uh, she said that, and we talked about it in one of our episodes, because it was cool. Um, and it still is cool. Fran Drescher also said some super cool stuff, and Ron Perlman said there's more... More than one way to lose a house, fucker. If you know, you know. Um, Did they
1: really say that?
0: It's super dope. I'll send you the video later. Um, (laughs) Let's do a quick reading check-in. Mum, what are you reading right now?
1: Well, so um, since we last recorded, I have bought and read and gifted... The Rhythm of Time by Questlove and S.A. Cosby. And um, that was a uh, YA novel uh, about time travel. It was really good. It's real pacey. I read it in like two evenings. Um, if you know somebody who's... Because I think uh, when I looked it up online, it said that the age group was like nine to 12. But I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I'm certainly not in that age group. Um <laughs> so if you're looking for a gift for somebody or if you like YA and just fun writing or fun reading, I would definitely recommend that. Um, I read that, but also can I just say, because I know you're waiting to come on, but, um, I jumped back (laughs) into, uh, rest as, excuse me. I did just have my dinner. Pardon me. Um, (laughs) I did jump back into rest as resistance.
0: Um,
1: Very powerful. The more you get into it, it's very powerful. Um that's all I can say. And I've also <laughs> I'm like, because all we're right, doing this. All
0: right, we do one reading check in each. What the hell is going I, on?
1: I just had a bit of a blasty day today, but um I did start reading The Return of Faraz Ali.
0: Yes. Oh my gosh. I can't wait to hear. Amina thoughts.
1: Ahmed. Yeah.
0: I really so, love like that book
1: i mean i know you did and you gave it to me so when i saw it i was like you know what i need to start reading that and and already i've read like the first couple of chapters and um i can see that it's gonna be a book for me
0: oh yeah it's a great murder mystery
1: it is a murder mystery which you know so there you go sorry what are you reading george i'll shut my mouth yes
0: yes bugger (laughs) off it's my turn now
1: I'm um
0: (laughs) (laughs) thank you for sharing um it's I I love that uh, <laughs> The Rhythm of Time is like one of our featured, like we always talk about this book. Every time we record, we bring up The Rhythm of Time. Um, okay, well, I'm reading um, What Moves the Dead by T. Kingfisher. I just recently finished that poetry collection by Far Farisad, and now I've moved on to this. It is a gothic horror tale um and it's a reimagining of Edgar Allan Poe's The Fall of the House of Usher um I am about oh. yeah uh I am not familiar with the Edgar Allan Poe version of the story but I have been recommended this book several times and I'm I'm fairly early on into it but I can say it is it it has its hooks in me uh the writing is phenomenal the atmosphere is dreadful and the wit is out the window every character is so like on i don't know cuz it's it's not always funny but it is always like witty you know like when people are clever even if it doesn't behoove the situation, and as a reader, it's like quite it's quite enjoyable because it's like, yeah, you're in a zombie movie. I get it. I would be, <laughs> I would be really <laughs> cynical all the time too if I was living in the shit that you're describing.
1: <laughs> so you're talking about horror again, right? Which we did like two episodes ago. Just hey, checking. chill out. Well, just that's just
0: what I'm reading right now. But, okay. since we've already done our check-in, one for me, four for you, uh, why don't we get into our, <laughs> oh, interesting, you're holding up two fingers, that's Three. a different number than we're talking about. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, tell it to the judge, Give yeah. me the, the V's, um, just for, because I know there are a few American people who listen to this, that's just English middle finger, most people know that. Anyway. Yeah. Um. What we're talking about today isn't horror. It's not anything close to horror. Although, psychologically, they can be connected. Um, We want to look at comedy today. Comedy narratives overall, but also comedy as a genre. It gets a little... The lines get blurred.
1: Does it get funny? Okay. (laughs) Because that's the point. Yeah,
0: good one. It is. It is technically the point. Um. Anyway, enough of your stupid jokes I'm going to get serious now Because we've researched this And, you know
1: You've researched this, good job, George <laughs> <laughs> i give you what it. An, what are I amazing, looked up some books
0: What a great segue Between, like, I didn't do shit Good job you, though, for real, for real good job uh, It's like Best man speeches, like This idiot, I love you, bro <laughs> Okay Let's take a look at the origins of comedy. Um, okay. Could you guess where comedy
1: begins?
0: It's kind of easy.
1: Okay, so I can. <laughs> because even though, you know, we already kind of pre-talked about this, but it doesn't surprise me that it comes from ancient Greece. What Incorrect. Do you do?
0: It comes from ancient Greece. Um doesn't everything Aristophanes. yeah a lot does but also toilets that's... <laughs> Enough oh, toilet comedy. Humor, thank you
1: <laughs> oh
0: comedy that's <laughs> that's gonna be our first stickers um yeah it does come from greece uh it does come from ancient greece uh as do many things, but also a part of that, right, is the histories that are passed down. We want to acknowledge up top. We try to get a little, like, less Western-centric with what I've compiled here, but this is clearly a very Western-centric history of comedy. Um, And the sort of origin of that is Aristophanes, um, who wrote 40 comedies, allegedly, um, 11 of which survived, uh, a lot of those have their beginnings in Seder plays. Do you know what those are?
1: Seder is the guy who looks a bit like a, a deer, but has like a S- sort of goat's head, but he's got a man's chest. S-
0: okay, really close. It's getting more awful as you continue to add Shall parts I to continue? it. Shall <laughs> yeah, I continue? Yeah, And he's got like
1: t- hairy legs and hooves, right? An octopus
0: he- arms and razors coming <laughs> out of his eyeballs. No. Uh, <laughs> you were so close in the beginning. Um, so satyrs are like, yeah, they're goat men essentially. They're men well, from the waist up. No, that's not at all like what you said. Um, go- they're men from the waist up, goats from the waist down, and they also have horns kind of like goats. Um, they They have...
1: Yeah, so then they're not men from the waist up, are they? They're sort of goat men from the waist up and goats from the waist down.
0: All right. You said they were like deer, so well, I don't want to hear it. I was
1: thinking of something else, actually.
0: What? I don't even want to know <laughs> about that. Um, we'll do another episode for cryptids. Uh, but so, Seder plays. It sort of has, like, uh, an origin with the god Pan, who is, like, a, a Seder. Um, and it's mostly just genitalia jokes. It's like it is really oh. toilet humor. That, that was sort of Pan's deal. That was sort of the the purpose of satyrs and a lot of Greek myths. They were just horny drunkards who were here to be like, ah ha, ha sexual I mean, assault.
1: I mean that doesn't appeal to me, but that sort of humor I can see the comedy in that. I can make toilet humor all day long. And so Sure. Um, I think it's probably comedy at its very basest
0: it makes sense, right? And mm-hmm. it also, it makes sense, like, I don't know, shit about ancient Greece, or like, you know, the idea of antiquity, that sort of era. I don't know enough to be really saying any concrete statements about it, but it it's, you know, sort of, we get into uh, stoicism, we get into sort of this, this expectation in society. Yeah, so... So this is Aristophanes writing comedies based on Seder plays in the in like 425 BCE. But then in the 300s, we get Aristotle starting to write about comedy like as a concept, like writing about comedy theory in Poetics. Um, he writes about why it's hard to trace as a genre because no one really takes it that seriously. Um, <laughs>
1: Which is funny because I understand what you're saying. As in, nobody takes it seriously as like an art form kind of thing. But also, mm. it's not meant to be serious because it's comedy and meant to laugh at it, isn't it?
0: So- it's just a joke, bro. <laughs> just
1: a joke. Oh, stop it! Uh, Don't know, scream I'm not gonna-
0: comedy again. I'll lose it. I'm not. I'm not going. Um.
1: So continue. <laughs>
0: So Aristotle is talking about, um, so he's writing in poetics. Uh, he writes about the four genres of literature. We have comedy, tragedy, epic poetry, which is like the Odyssey and lyric poetry, which is like, I don't know, fast car. Um, and for (laughs) Aristotle, literature is all about, uh, mimesis or imitation of life. Uh, he ranked them in order of like how close to real life they were, and tragedy was first. Um, but anyway. Because life is uh, very tragic. Because life sucks, yeah. But the difference was, and this goes back to what we were talking about of like the solemnity of the culture at that moment in time. Um, Aristotle thinks it's really good to feel happy, it's really good to evoke laughter because life is tragic, like we're talking about. Uh, but then at the same time, Time period. You have Plato being like, <clears throat> "No, a senator shall not laugh. It is an instinct, and those are for the animals," which is like, whack. But whatever. <laughs> um, you heard it here first. Plato is a punk. Uh, I mean, no, but in this setting, we agree with Aristotle. Yeah, comedy school.
1: I, I like uh, I like that there was like opposition to that school of thought though. That it, that is quite funny to me because, you know, as we get into more modern times, there was a lot of there has often been a lot of controversy around uh comedians and the material that they write, so
0: Yeah. But yeah later. That, I I feel like a lot of that is well, a lot of that is made up. But anyway, um you know what I mean? Like, when people are like, oh, you can't say anything anymore. It's like, yeah, you can't oh, yeah, say yeah, slurs, yeah. dog. <laughs> anyway, so oh, ancient antiquity, we're talking about um, from the 400s BCE, before Common Era, before Christ, depending on your faith. And then that takes us through, like, the 5th century AD. And you see a lot of evolutions of comedy as it's built into the, like, uh, framework of literature by people like Aristotle and then it's like picked up later. I didn't want to go too far into this cuz this history is way too long already. Um but so jumping back a little bit more to 200 BC, we also have representation of comedy in ancient Sanskrit drama, also Indian classical drama. Um Bharata Mooney, who's a, a theo- theatrologist. I'd never seen that word before, which is very cool. I'm going to put, start putting that on my resume. Um, and a <laughs> <What>? musicologist. <laughs> in, Excuse me. No. Um, in Yeah, what's up?
1: Can you really put theatrologist on your resume? I don't understand where it will fit. Okay. I mean, you can try it and impress me, but I'm just wondering, that's all.
0: I thought you were saying, like, because there were too many letters in it, it wouldn't fit on the page.
1: (laughs) But I understand.
0: (laughs) No! Not again.
1: Yes! (laughs) <laughs> All the way, go. We've Nobody's got a scoreboard
0: in going in the background. We can, You can't <laughs> see it, but... Okay, so Bharata Muni, this theatrologist and musicologist in India at the time, uh, writes this treatise on uh, the performing arts called Natya Shastra. Um, and in it, he defines humour as one of the nine principal uh rasas or the nava rasas these are the emotional responses evoked in the audience by the performance of bhavas which is uh emotional imitation by actors um i loved researching about this because this like was part of trying to get away from the rest western history but learning about like The rasa, which is, it means, literally, it translates to flavor, but it is, it's like the way that they paint with emotion um, in, like, conceptually in classical Indian arts. Um, So, like, humor is one of the rasas. It is hasyam. Um, that is associated with mirth or hasya. And basically there's a, a style of dance and a color palette that characters will use to, uh, you know, perform the emotion or this bhava. Um, so a character would arrive all in white and dance in a certain way, and that would intuit to the audience that this is a character performing hasyam or humor.
1: That's very interesting, George. You know, it absolutely blows my mind that in 200 BCE, whatever, um, they had musicologists in India. <laughs> I Excuse my ignorance, but you know, like ologists. <laughs> I always think yeah. that just that whole kind of concept of having a person who studies whatever um, is a modern thing. So is it's it? kind of, it just makes you sit up, really. And I also like the idea of colours being used to represent a certain feeling or emotion. I think that's awesome because as an audience member, you, it would it would just be, um it, w- it would be like complete. You wouldn't just be mm-hmm. listening for what they were saying or how they were moving, like the whole kind, it would be like an overall um, sensory experience. Don't want to sound a bit poncy there, but you know what I mean?
0: <laughs> no, you're all right. I like the... You know, the mention of that, we're going to come back to that. So that's, keep that in your mind. Um, But yeah, I think a big part of it, and I was uh, likewise kind of shocked by how little of this I knew about just because, like, I studied theater for a time and I never learned about any of this. Like, not really. Um, And it's, I just, you know, we talk all the time about the narratives of history and who writes what history. And just another important moment for us to look at what we've been taught in our lives and go, well, maybe that didn't give me a full enough scope in all places. Um, So anyway, you will I'm sure see me buying some book about Bharata Muni or the Natya Shastra uh, to do a little more um, research into that. But I gotta keep going on this history before we run out of time. Because there's a lot. A lot of different uh, people were doing humor in many different ways. So that's... That's sort of the Indian classical drama uh, intro that I wanted to bring up. Um, and then I want to also look at uh, Japan um, in, so this is jumping ahead a little bit. So we're, we're a little bit after antiquity, we're in 700 uh, AD, and we're seeing the development of Manzai, which is a, a, a traditional style of comedy from Japanese culture, which is a, a essentially a double act. It's just two people playing off each other. Um, and amazingly, it is the odd couple. Yeah, it's you and me. <laughs> so here's the thing. neither We are always playing the funny man, both of us. So we can't technically be a man's eye or an odd couple, which it, oh. I think this is the origin of, is... So, a uh, manzai involves two performers, manzaishi, who is a, the straight man or sukomi, and a funny man, uh, Boki. Um, the two of them trade jokes at great speed, and it's all about like misunderstanding each other, right? So, like, you could get a series of jokes that are just one, one letters off doing puns, like, oh, did you say fish? No, I said dish. Oh, I thought you said Trish. I don't know. Um, I'm obviously not a comedy writer
1: uh <laughs> you could be. Ah, big ah, that's
0: sweet of you, but I don't know um, but so this started in the heian period, which is seven ninety four a d to eleven eighty five um as well as uh Setsua which is another type of um i th- let me make sure I'm not lying here i uh, Oh know uh Um, so Setsuwa is a spoken story. Excellent. I wanted to make sure I wasn't lying when I said it was verbal only. Um, it's, it's like a very vague form of literature. It is just like passing them down between story, uh, between generations. Um, but so that also starts up in the Heian period and then also into the Kamakura period, uh, which is so... The Heian period ends in the twelfth, and then the Kamakura period picks up until the fourteenth. Um, and they were sort of protected by Buddhist monks, so it's just like this very interesting oral storytelling tradition that was passed down just verbally. Um, and then what it sort of inspired is the what is like now still existing uh, the. Oral storytelling art of Rakugo um, story with a fall. It translates to, Oh, uh, that is not strictly comedy, but it like, it is a follow up of comedy uh, stories. It involves one. It's a single storyteller on a raised platform. They have a paper fan and a small cloth for props. And that's it. They stay seating and they tell a very long and complicated comical story. Um, there's always dialogue of multiple characters, and they do they like split the characters through just voice and like very small movements of the head. So you're just oh. it's like theaters full of people watching just one person tell the story. Um, So that starts in the Edo period, 1670. Um, There's a a huge history on that. And there's also a lot of really great manga about that topic that I love. (laughs) So, you know, check that out. That's a whole other thing. And then the one other thing I wanted to bring up before... (laughs) Uh, before we move on out of this Japanese section, is uh, Kobanashi during the 17th and 19th centuries before modern Rakugo was developed. Um, There were these little comical vignettes that took place in tiny, tiny theaters or just on the street. So, yes, very small. They were performed by mice. Um, Good. So so that takes us all the way up to the 19th century. We're going to back up a little bit more. 12th and 13th century, the only thing really going on in the medieval period were these Elegiac comedies, which were not really comedies. They were just like couplets, but they are personified as like Um, But, you know, the Golden Globes still calls it comedy or a musical. So uh, everyone has old, old labels. Um, so the biggest change in Europe comes, no surprise, with the Elizabethan era, right? We have... What's that face for?
1: Nothing. I was just anticipating what you were going to say next.
0: Oh, okay. I thought you were going to give me a face. Um, So we have uh, Commedia dell'arte in Italy. That is like obviously a big version of comedy that has like the archetypes. We were talking about being able to recognize characters off of. Uh, the colors and the way they dance yeah. In yeah. Indian classical drama uh, This is the same thing In Italy but it's with character archetypes They have costumes They have behaviors that are Instantly recognizable so you know Who you're dealing with um, Yes Thank you for raising your hand
1: It's a bit like Pokemon isn't it <laughs> <laughs> Wendy
0: I mean yes, but what do you mean?
1: Well, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean I've I've seen, you know, you went through a whole Pokemon era when you were younger and I really didn't pay that much attention. But wow, almost
0: thirty years of one.
1: But as soon as a Pokemon appears, you know exactly who it is, what its powers are, and all of its sort of background. Do you know what I mean? And how it can that- interact with other Pokemon. that is not
0: a bad comparison um i don't think it's well now i feel like you undercut my counterpoint but oh sorry it's it's pretty good now i feel like i have to argue in the other direction um yeah i think i think that's good game design right you look at a pokemon and even if you've never seen it before you're like all right you are really red i think fire is going to come out of you at some point you know, there's still, there are still those clues, those visual cues. And that is good storytelling because that's showing and not telling. Anyway, back to history. I don't want to hear another word out of you until we're back to the present. That's not true.
1: I'm not um, saying anything ever.
0: Well, you've just done it. So what are you talking about? So Commedia dell'arte, <laughs> you look like you just bit into a lemon. Uh, Commedia dell'arte, we have the transfer of Pulcinella, this social climbing archetype who you sort of can't help but love, sort of of a lovable bastard. Um, they, he gets transferred over to the UK and sort of transmogrified into Punch for the Punch and Judy shows, very famous... Uh, Com- er, well puppet show on the street which is essentially the ju- on the seaside as well yes thank uh, you um, yeah. Judy is kind of a normal character maybe a bit of a uh, bad stereotype about women but a lot of the humor comes from Punch who is yeah swings a stick and is kind of this terrible jester role um, there's a great bit I, uh, I saw somewhere that a description of comedy being we begin with lower base characters seeking insignificant aims, and they end with some accomplishment of the aims, which either lightens the initial baseness. Or reveals the insignificance of the aims, and that is Pulcinella. That is Punch. It is a little monstrous bastard who comes in and says, "Yes, I am going to take over the town." And then, by the end of the show, it's like, "Oh, you've actually, you've gotten us running water. Thank you, Pulcinella." It's like, "No, I've done a good deed." Oh. Um, well,
1: sorry that that links to something I'm gonna talk about in a little while, but um,
0: you get very excited. Um, I am. But yeah, so that's a that's a part of it, and then we we get out of the. Uh, <laughs> um, oh, I just wanted to also mention he's the jester, right? You think of the jester character from *Hunchback of Notre Dame*. You think of literal jesters. This character was really popular in England at the time because. After years of Puritanism, we just wanted to hear someone go,
1: Oh, yes, toilets. Comedy. I identify (laughs) that as comedy. (laughs) It's it's true, though. You mentioned poo or farts to any, well, in our case, any age, but in regular people, anybody under the age of 10, and they will just laugh their socks off. Just saying.
0: Yeah. It's, you know, he Punch becomes an anti-authoritarian icon. It's someone who moons the police and, <laughs> you know, somehow steals money from them for the orphanage. Um, so then, going forward a little more, I promise we're almost done, I want to jump us from the early 19th century England into sort of modern day. Um, we, we, take from pantomime um which is not like miming but is like a big production full of swapping characters also archetypes who you can recognize at a glance um and it's sort of we take the slapstick comedy which features heavily there and the first mainstream clown joseph grimaldi shouts um i mean he's dead but shout outs <laughs> to his, to his uh, legacy, memory because it is it is worthwhile yeah like um, and uh, Joseph Grimaldi kind of takes that panto experience and the slapstick and begins doing comedy routines like for reals uh, in the in the 1850s it starts to become popular to like do perf- just like do comedy routines by yourself and then we begin to get people like stan laurel and dan leno and probably the most famous charlie chaplin um and then chaplin and laurel both take part in fred carno's uh sketch comedy that doesn't have dialogue in the 90s we kind of see that in a lot of chaplin's films right there's like a lot of nose silent films yeah that's and that's like kind of the medium is the message in a way like the the you know they didn't have the technology, um, but so then like we continue, we carry slapstick forward all the way into the modern era. Um, you know, obviously Chaplin, but also Buster Keaton, um, Keaton Cops, um, and then in the 19th century we get cinema, followed by radio and TV in the 20th, and we tie a, we tie even tighter to slapstick. Like the visual element of it is so big. Think about, think about. In the 20th century, think about, like, Jim Carrey. Uh, he had, like, his face is a whole part of it, right? Um, and that's sort of, that's like a, 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 a quick and dirty history into, like, how we get here in comedy. However, you may have noticed something, Mum.
1: I've noticed something, George. Shall I tell you? Where is... Yeah, go on. Well, I noticed you haven't been talking specifically about books or narratives, uh... Huh. Through that,
0: Yeah, you know, it goes a bit back to what Aristotle was saying. It's hard to track because no one takes it seriously. We take either you're doing a comedy act where it is a dedicated thing that you are performing. Or you are writing and performing a narrative which has humor in it. Something that has been noted by a few people, uh, some of the research for this included reading an article by Daniel O'Brien, formerly of crack.com, a uh, lovely book, um, very good writer, writes about why we never see just straight-up comedy books. And it's because, well, one of his thoughts is that old books say that they're funny. Like, you can look at the back of a book and you can see a quote that says, at times, heart-wrenchingly tragic, and then... Side splittingly funny. The Goldfinch by Donna T- Anyway, um That is that's that applies to that book, but that's not a comedy book, right? Um No, absolutely not. And so you know, part of it is that we don't really have we never really developed the market to have like a differentiation for just books that are comedies and have like a big blow up like you've seen in horror serialization or other book genres that we're going to talk about maybe next episode Uh, but on top of that you lose something that has been intrinsic to a lot of the histories before this the visual from all the way to the top from from the most performed version of it to the most simplified like I'm thinking of rakugo the like single performer on a stool you know you see them you get to feel the energy in the space you get the contagious laughter of people around you that applies to movies as well like it's different when you're reading a book it's a very solitary experience you don't get the visual and you don't get given the timing
1: i i would agree i think that um I mean, we were talking about, you know, the last thing we laughed at or, when you know, when you last laughed out loud. Um, sorry, that was stupid. Because um, I don't use that at all, just so everybody knows. But um,
0: <laughs> I don't want anyone to think less of me. I never say lol.
1: I can, I can, well, I can think of a million films that I've actually sat and cried laughing because it is so funny. I mean, there mm-hmm. are some films that will always make me laugh um I would say uh the Shaun of the Dead series
0: oh yeah I got ice them. cream
1: yeah just just so funny I can't watch those you know and I've watched them lots of times and they're really funny but it is all given to you you've got the visual you've got the spoken word you've got the timing like you just said George and um and it's like you know fun on a plate or on a screen whereas yeah. reading it in a book I think um I don't think that it doesn't happen but I think like you say that it's a sort of secondary consideration like the you've got humorous characters or you've got the the character who's a bit of a fool or or the sort of you you hear people say the comic relief you know mm-hmm. in a storyline but um to write a whole story that is just comedy I think is is very challenging and I think that also you were saying about um a lot of books come out and they say, "Oh, you know, it's a heartwarming, whatever, blah 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 blah, with you so know, funny a gentle humour running throughout." But it's <laughs> not just a comedy book. And I was looking at, um, you know, like comedians, uh, male and female comedians mm-hmm. who've written books, but and I, I I'm resisting here because I, I didn't do a lot of research on it, right? But um. <laughs> but i can stick I s- up
0: for you it's not a lot
1: of narratives <laughs> but it's not a lot of pure narratives no they're more sort of like observational um sort of reports if you like or or um right memoirs or you know something along those lines just
0: straight up joke books sometimes
1: well do you want a break
0: okay go on give us one i've been
1: i've been waiting to do this all the time uh,
0: she's had a. She's had this book in her pocket the whole the whole show.
1: <laughs> what has more lives than a cat? <sighs> Two cats. A frog, because it croaks every night. Oh. Mac Oops.
0: Yeah, that's the noise I make when you make that joke.
1: Can I do one more and see if it's funnier? Go on. How do you stop your dog barking in the back garden?
0: Ask politely.
1: Put it in the front garden. Okay, I promise you. Okay. I'm gonna Hey Mike, you can wipe those out. No, don't, don't, don't. George Mike. Please, if
0: you could if you could just put air horns over the past five minutes, that would be great. Ah. Um, No, yeah, we've we've talked about the the ability of comedians. As understood by the public, I think, because we don't want to, I don't want to say that like, I have any understanding about that career whatsoever. Um, but like what we expect from them is the ability to craft jokes and crafting jokes and stringing like a light narrative through for like a memoir or a self-help book is a completely different animal than writing a solid narrative that is, like, a good story, enough to carry, like, people's perception of what you can do uh, and making it funny the whole way through, which is also super difficult.
1: Um, I just had a thought, just listening to you speak then, um, I'm not sure which...
0: Dangerous stuff.
1: I'm not sure which show it was, but one of the um, Eddie Izzard stand-ups... One of the mm, early mm. ones when they did um, uh, history of the world. Do you remember that? Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and went from like, oh, Jeezy Crazy. Don't call me Jeezy Crazy, yeah. Dad. Don't call me Jeezy Crazy, Dad. <laughs> but it, um, but it was like a, it was like a, a beginning, a middle, and an end. Went all the way mm-hmm. through. It was hilariously funny. Um, but I don't think that's something you see routinely.
0: No, it's and because it's very hard. And because people take it for granted. Aristotle was the only one who got it right. Comedy is one of the four kinds of literature. And just to sort of wrap us up, I know we're getting uh, close to time here. Um, We've had a lot to talk about. (laughs) Sorry.
1: I'm still talking. You took it all. Go on.
0: (laughs) Um, We just want to talk about some books that are full-on modern comedies that, like, are, are worth checking out that we think are, are good examples of storylines that never drop the humor. Um, uh, one m- kind of very recent one, uh, John Dies at the End. I don't know, actually, when that came out. Uh, I think it used to be a web series. By David Wong um it used to be a web series but the first time the book was printed was 2007 so that's a great book it's a it's like a horror novel it's about two paranormal ex- investigators but it's very it's mainly funny it is quite funny sorry I know um what about you mum have you got anything <laughs> that
1: I don't know if I've got time George but okay wow a um, couple of things obviously I always talk about kids and YA books um but also wanted to mention some older authors. Uh, Lewis Carroll, um, when he was writing Alice in Wonderland, Alice Through the Looking Glass, because of the fantastical storyline and the things that she experiences through the story, I think is very comic or comical. Mm. Um, but it's also a, a bit absurd. Um, I mm. think he took a lot of drugs, I'm not sure. But, um <laughs> That's what people said. I mean I wasn't there, obviously. <laughs> Maybe I was. Um, but uh I so I did want to bring that up because uh I do think a lot of his stuff is funny. Um but just I wanna just um pick out I, I have a whole long list of, of kids and YA books, but I'm just gonna pick a couple out. Um and and I did realise when we I was looking for books for this that um we do use a lot of the same authors. So my goal is uh, I'm telling you going forward is to kind of broaden my um, scope a little bit. But uh, the Wayside School books by Lewis Sacker. Lewis Sacker, just very, he was very talented. Um, and the Wayside School books, if you've never read them, um, if you're below the age of 30, you probably came across them in school. But I'm not sure, I would say in the United States for sure. Anyway, um, but the Wayside School is just basically a, a bunch of stories about a school that is, um, it's tall rather than wide, and so that that there's already mm. like a, a humorous premise before you start reading because the the um the the floors of the school just go up and up and up, um and it's then it, it's, it's
0: like constantly shifting in the wind.
1: Yeah, and and so each chapter of the book is a separate story about a character. One of them is being the first one is how they get rid of this nasty teacher and a. Uh, you Know she turns children into apples, but it's very humorous, it's very well written, and it's really quick to read. So, I mean, if you just fancy the break, that's funny. Um, the Rover it is hilarious, book, it is hilarious. Um, another author <laughs> I'm always referring to is uh Roddy Doyle. Um, uh, he has written children's books as well as adult books. Um, you wrote a book called Rover Saves Christmas, and then I can't remember what the other one was called Rover. Saves the and day the, or
0: something. It was like there was like uh yeah, I don't know, there's like an evil the nibblers, the evil little gremlins. I don't know.
1: But anyway, um so the the one that I picked out to just take a look at for this, I'm trying to talk quickly because <laughs> I don't want this it's episode okay. To go on forever. But um Rover Saves Christmas. You open it to the first part, the first page. And he starts talking about, uh, it opens up with, it was Christmas in Dublin. Um, The ground was dry as anything. The lizards were smashing their tails and, you know, the heat was overbearing. And he goes on little ways like this, describing this sort of arid environment. And then there's like this, wait a minute, stop. That's not Christmas in Dublin. Start again. So already, you know, within the first page, you've got like this comic setup, which to me indicates it's a funny book. It's a funny book. So <laughs> if you haven't come across those, uh, I would recommend them. Captain Underpants, Dave Pilkey, we talk about all the time as well. Um, but Captain Underpants, um, the attack of the talking toilets, uh, whole, I don't even know how many of those there are now, but there's lots and they are very humorous. Um so I would definitely uh, recommend Captain Underpants.
0: There's nothing wrong uh, with talking about Dave Pilkey, though. No. Um, yeah, and, and there is. There are. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go on.
1: Um, Just William, we've talked about in the past as well by Rick Malcrompton. Oh. I found a couple of interesting facts out today when I was looking this up. Um, the first Just William story was written in a magazine in 1919. Um, Incredible. And so. What else did
0: we find out?
1: That I feel really weird about this and wrong, but Rick Malcompton was a woman. I was under the misconception for as long as I've been aware of Just Williams stories that it was a man. So. Well, it's yeah, like
0: you, fake Richard. Yeah. Um, you know? Like, I, guess. I always thought it was Rich not <laughs> oh, Rick Mal.
1: <laughs> oh, well, maybe we should look that up. That's a note for another day. But um, again, I was looking at one of those books and uh, the first page jumps into this conversation. If you don't know the books, it's like four main characters in the Outlaws gang. Um, William is the self-appointed leader of the pack. Um, and and the first page of the one I was reading for this uh, it's raining and they're thinking there's something to do, but there's this conversation that kicks off right away with Ginger kind of going, oh, what are we going to do? It's boring. Uh, and then the, the dialogue that just bounces back between these four characters, and it's like it doesn't stop. The pace is right there all the way through, and you can feel it. And it's just silly um, silly humour, if I'm honest, but that I find that quite appealing. Um, <laughs> so... I think that's a good example. Another um, author, I think, sort of moving along a little bit, is David Walliams has written some really... Oh, yeah. ...impressive children's books. Um, Mr. Stink, uh, about the homeless guy who lives in somebody's garage and then gets befriended by a child who lives in the house, but lots of humour because he's stinky, and everybody knows that stink is funny. yeah. Um, <laughs>
0: Definitely not David Williams writing a story about a houseless person No Anyway I uh, think it's actually quite a feel-good story And it's about the problem rather than uh, laughing at the problem
1: Yeah uh, So then that was sort of my YA stuff George, do you want me to continue on? Do you want to take over some of the adult comments?
0: I think <laughs> some of the adult comments
1: Oh, you um, know, books, titles <laughs> Oh gosh So
0: one... One big one we want to talk about is Confederacy of Dunces, just because oh, that yeah. is a it's a cool enough story just to like know about. Um, uh, oh, what was his name? John Kennedy Toole, wasn't it? I
1: think um,
0: so. Uh, uh, American novelist, um, excellent book, uh, Confederacy of Dunces was published posthumously because uh, I believe his mom ran around to publishers um so you know a, just in case oh i gosh. write something and die you have big shoes to fill in um but i just i don't <laughs> i don't want to talk about too many more books i just want to make sure that we mention like mark twain and uh people like oh gosh joseph joseph connelly um helen fielding terry pratchett uh terry
1: pratchett Mar- um neil gaiman
0: Neil Gaiman, very comic. Uh, P.G. Woodhouse. Um,
1: yes. Uh,
0: James, James Joyce, kind of. Um, yes. Uh, uh, Kurt Vonnegut. Um, Carl Hyacin I think, oh, writes comedy yeah. books. Love that guy. Um, he's a Florida just man. Just sort of... He is! And he's a good Florida man. We love that. A good Florida rep in Carl Hyacin Please, come on the show. We would love to talk to you. Um, but... Uh, yeah. Um, oh, and then I also saw something about, um, Iraj Pezishal. I don't know how to say his last name. I really beefed it just then, but he's, uh, an Ar- Iranian writer, um, who in the early 1970s, he wrote this novel, uh, My Uncle Napoleon, which is like a, a, very, quite a funny, um, coming of age, uh, novel. Uh, oh maybe it isn't no it's a love story oh
1: oh
0: oh this is like his most famous story but he well is you're mentioned... gonna
1: to hold on to it for later
0: yeah i'll have to read it and see you know what i mean anyway geez louise oh he actually passed away recently in 2022 r.i.p Uh, okay. I think we've talked about enough. There's a lot of comedy in here and there's still more that we've missed. That's the thing. That's why I'm scrambling for all these names that we didn't mention. Uh, we could keep scrambling for hours, but I think we've talked for long enough now. We said on the audiobook episodes that we wouldn't stretch it to two discs and I am guaranteeing that we will stick to that promise. So we're going to bugger off instead. Mom, have you got anything you want to say for the future of comedy?
1: The future of comedy again, you know, um, I think, I hope people just keep trying to write good comedy narratives, you know, not necessarily, I mean, obviously, let's be right, there aren't a lot of people writing a lot of anything as far (laughs) as film and TV goes right now in the US.
0: good news.
1: I did want to say, actually, I found, um, when I was reading about the, um, WGA strike that, uh. Although Equity in the UK, which is their uh, kind of mm-hmm. sister association, um, won't be coming out on strike, but is offering their support. I um, just wanted to say that. I also wanted to say, um, I want to say thank you to a couple of people uh, who <laughs> who have given compliments after listening to our first episodes. Um, Chris, who said we sounded uh, very professional. And then Jill who said um she couldn't wait to hear she'd finished episode one, she couldn't wait to hear episode two. And uh what a great job we did. So I'd like to say thanks to those people. I also have to quickly jump back, way wait, back hang to our- on.
0: thank you to Tim for saying that you think we have a lovely rapport. It's just really nice. We In our person, in the real life timeline, we just published our first episodes on Spotify and we've been watching, um, you know, the the numbers pan out and it's just been nice to see people checking it out. Uh, We hope it's a laugh, you know, we hope you have fun and we hope you hear about a book you haven't heard about before. Okay, go ahead, Mom. Sorry.
1: I did want to just say one other thing that our very first episode was about audiobooks and somebody who's listening um, in Indonesia did say. Um, what about the Guggenheim uh, project?
0: Gu- Gutenberg.
1: Gutenberg, sorry, excuse me. Gutenberg project, which is was specifically established to record books and make them available to people online. So I just want to put that in there as a resource. Also, I'm very sort of a bit feeling a bit jittery because we did just recently put everything out into the. Um,
0: Digital <laughs> space.
1: I'm I'm part excited, part a little bit nervous. Um, but thank you, anybody who's listening. And, uh, yeah.
0: In case in case we felt I any nervous tales. energy. <laughs> <laughs> and keep telling tales. I didn't forget <laughs> to say keep telling tales. Um, yeah, we we've we've been uh, we've been sorting out how to get everything up and streamable. And uh, yeah, we just you know hope you hope you. Get something from it. And if not, we won't uh, hold it against you. But thank you so much for listening. Thank you for putting up with this absolute slapdash comedy history. Um, I think
1: it, I don't know about slapdash. I think it was very comprehensive, George.
0: Oh, thank you, mum. You are sort of legally obligated to say that about ha! the work I do, though. So, uh, <laughs> comedy! <laughs>
1: Yay! Comedy. Okay, <laughs> go tell some <laughs> funny right, so stories. I,
0: yeah, go tell some funny tales. And I think for now we will say good night.
1: Au revoir, Auf Wiedersehen, goodbye.